Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Colin for our show Unruly with Ryan and Rob. This is your co-host, Ryan Knight, and I'm excited to be joined by our other co-host, Rob Bermudez. Rob, what's going on? Oh, not much. You know, just living in late-stage capitalism like everyone else. Yes, right? Uh, uh, hoping to win the, the Mega Billions lottery. D- did you buy a ticket? I think the, the lottery is now over a billion dollars, which which is definitely going to help, you know, all the people who, you know, one per- family will win, one person will win, and the rest of us will just be left, you know, not. It feels very Hunger Games to me. I, I just saw that it before does. we logged on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did not buy lottery tickets. I don't buy lottery tickets. It's just not my thing. And it, nothing against people who do it, but, you know, the, the odds of winning are so low that I'll keep my five, ten, however many bucks it costs. I don't even know how Same. much it costs to buy a lottery yeah. ticket. I just couldn't believe that. I think the jackpot's like one point two eight billion dollars, uh, which which isn't gonna, again isn't going to do anything for the millions of us who are struggling uh, right now. But anyway, so on this week's episode, we are going to talk about uh, the looming recession uh, and this boom bust cycle of capitalism that keeps workers down and Wall Street rich. Uh, just this week, uh, the Bureau of Economic Analysis they reported that the U.S. economy's GDP. Uh, has fallen uh, for the second straight quarter, uh, which is hitting a widely accepted rule of thumb for a recession. Uh, Over the last half century, the general rule has been if there's two consecutive quarters of decline in GDP, then that is a recession. Uh, However, most economists are saying that despite uh, uh, the the consecutive quarters of negative growth in GDP, that uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research is is not going to declare an official recession. Uh, and like I just said, since 1948, the, the economy has never seen consecutive quarterly growth declines in GDP without being in a recession. Uh, so the Biden administration can try to deny reality all at once, but the historic, historical data indicates that, uh, unfortunately, we are in a recession. And I think that it's important uh, for the public to use this moment to look back at, at the history of, of capitalism uh, in this country so we can stop repeating the same mistakes and, and stop being stuck in this same endless cycle uh, of destruction. Uh, now, if you just look back at the last 100 years uh, under U.S. capitalism, Rob, I just did this research yesterday. Uh, we've had 14 recessions uh, since 1929. Uh, now, if you average that out, that is an average of one recession uh, every seven years. Yes, let me repeat that. We have, uh, on average, one recession every seven years. And these boom-bust cycles enable the ruling class to extract as much wealth as possible, while any gains that the, the working class makes during a quote-unquote boom period are erased uh, after the bust hits. And then this is uh, magnified even further uh, by the U.S. government and both capitalist parties because when the recession hits, they, they, they do whatever it takes uh, to protect the big banks and to protect giant corporations while the poor and working class are losing everything and struggling just to survive another day uh, in this capitalist hellhole. Rob, now that another recession is upon us, is it time for the people of this country to get smarter and understand that we deserve better than an economy which averages a recession uh, once every seven years and prevents the working class from building any real wealth? 
Well, absolutely. And I think the, the best way to describe it is it is a completely rigged system. We're playing a game. We're playing a game of Monopoly and whoever's playing the banker just keeps adding more money to their pockets and making up new rules of why, well, we got to take some more of your money. And actually, you can't buy that house. Um, we're going to buy it up for you, even though it's your turn. It's, it's truly unprecedented. And one of the things that's so frustrating too, is we saw, um, like after the, the 08 recession where people were losing their homes, it's not like, okay, well, housing prices are going to come down and some people might be able to, to become first time homeowners. We see a lot in these boom bust cycles when, when the bust comes, the, the rich and wealthy companies have, are they're flush with capital and they like to buy up homes. They like to yep. continue to pad their pockets. And so it's, it's this game where, the little guy always comes out on bottom and the big guy, even when they make the mistakes, even when they set the conditions that will ultimately lead to these bust cycles, well, they're, they're not really having to deal with much of the consequences. You know, maybe they lay off workers again, working class people getting hurt, but then the, the company will get a big payout and the CEO has a nice $30 million golden parachute. And so it's just, you know, the system that we, that we operate under in the United States is so unfair. It's so cruel. It's, it's awful in about as many ways as I could get a thesaurus and just go through and, and just say how horrible it is with all these different adjectives. But the reality is right now, uh, not only is it two consecutive quarters of GDP going down, I think the, the real, measure of do people feel like we're in a recession now is the cost of living has gotten so high. We're seeing in some places over the last year, rents going up 20%, 25%, even 50% in some places. It's just the, the purchasing power of the average American worker is going down. So even if the, the Biden administration tries to move the goalposts and say, well, technically, you know, it's actually not a recession. I think most American working class people are, are really feeling it. And it's always Always fun to be a, a working class person stuck in a rut, feeling like, man, my purchasing power is going down. Everything's so expensive. I just keep trying to work harder and harder and just get by, and and then have some rich, wealthy people who get paid six figures and have guaranteed health care look down on you and say, well, actually, it's not a real recession. You're probably just faking it. And I believe Joe Biden and, and one of the, the press briefings they put out mentioning about people getting $8,000 in, in stimulus money and, you know, for people making $120,000 a year, that is not the average person. The average person in this country that is a working class person is seeing their wages stagnate, cost of living skyrocket. And I think we're, we're starting to see more more and more frustration within the working class. And I just, again, every day I, I keep thinking, I hope we can start channeling it into something productive and not just trying to back solely electoral politics and say, well, we'll just find the right person to get in charge to save the day. Because I think time and time again, we've seen in this country, especially when we need change at the, at the you know, on a grand scale, it never comes from our legislators. It comes from the people coming together saying, we've had enough standing up and pushing back. And, and I really hope we're, we're right there and on the precipice of, of getting some, some meaningful help because it's getting bleak out there. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up the, the cost of living uh, crisis because that is so much a part of this. And one thing I find interesting or, you know, I guess interesting is, is fine, but is that, you know, one of the ways that they, that 
they sell capitalism to us is that, oh, you know, competition is good, good for, for the market because it will, it will bring prices down, you know, the more, the more, and, and what we've seen actually is the opposite uh, over the last half century. You know, we've seen a consolidation at the top. We've seen uh, most industries be dominated by uh, a few monopolies. And we've seen just a handful of, of corporations and oligarchs uh, controlling the American economy, and so this idea that 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 capitalism would would result in in costs uh, for working people going down, it's been the opposite. And I pulled a few few numbers here. Um, you know, the cost of living is rising much faster than workers' wages, and this is happening not only right now, but it's been happening for the past half century, which then ma- which is only which only magnifies the hurt on working people when the increased cost of living hasn't kept up with wages for for almost fifty years now. So, if we look back just to 1978, the cost of uh, a college education in this country has increased by uh, over a thousand percent, one thousand one hundred twenty percent to be precise. Uh, medical care costs have increased by 601% over the last 50 years. Housing costs have increased by over 380% over the last 50 years. Uh, meanwhile, the pay of the average worker has only increased by just 10% over the last 50 years. And the pay of the minimum wage worker has fallen by 5%. And then you juxtapose this with the pay of CEOs uh, over the last 50 years, and that's increased by a thousand percent. So the only person in America whose pay, uh, whose pay increase has kept up with the rising cost of living is the CEO class. The rest of us are all just holding on for dear life as the cost to live in this country continues to rise uh, faster than our wages. And, and here's, here's really the kicker is the only way for people to survive when our wages aren't keeping up with the cost of, cost of living is to then live off credit cards and amass debt from the big banks just so we can survive. So the big banks and the CEOs have got us right where they want us, completely beholden to the very capitalist system that exploits us so that a handful of billionaires can hoard more wealth than any person should ever have. And I think this is really the problem with allowing corporations to control and privatize uh, the sectors of our economy that, that we depend on to live. Because we're seeing that, that the cost of living is not going down. It's higher than it's ever been, while our wages have stagnated and are flat. Uh, and so that's kind of really, I think, the, at the heart of, of the cruelty of the system that, you know, Rob, we're forced to sell our labor to the very corporations who are jacking up our cost of living and preventing us from living a dignified life. You know, when you just look at it, you know, commodifying uh, basic human rights like housing, healthcare, water, energy, and food didn't make us freer. It made us a prisoner to uh, this capitalist system. Uh, Rob, do you think we are reaching a point in our history where a critical mass is realizing that our economic system is not sustainable, uh, is rigged against everyday people, and that we deserve an economy that puts the needs of the people uh, and planet over the greed of, of these corporations? I think you're definitely seeing it. The The main question is, is it enough in time? You know, that's that's kind of the big question when it comes to acting on climate change. When it comes to all these issues is I think people are starting to wake up. We've seen just over the last year, I think over 200 Starbucks stores have unionized now in the country. We've seen one of the, the biggest growths in, in labor development and in, in 
decades and decades and decades. So I think people are starting to get a little more aware of what's happening. Their their exploitation might have been a little easier to swallow when they could pay their bills. But now that it's like, look, I hate this job. I've always hated this job. I've always been underpaid. But at least I used to be able to pay to keep a roof over my head and food in my stomach. Now I'm dealing with these shitty conditions at work. And at the end of the day, I'm still running short on, on money and I still, I can't afford to do these things. Well, if I'm going to be short on money, I'm just going to say fuck it and, and not continue to be exploited, uh, at my job. I know like the, uh, the subreddit, the anti-work subreddit has people constantly showing texts from their bosses of like, Oh, I know you had vacations scheduled from like a month for, you know, a month or two months in advance, but I'm actually going to need you to come in this weekend. They're like, Oh, actually it's like, you know, it's, it's my, my cousin's wedding. They're like, Oh, well, that's not too important. And you're starting to see people finally say, you know, if you're going to treat me like that, I'm gone. I'm going to quit. And so I think that's a, a good first step. Um, I think people get a little hesitant to, to think about life outside of capitalism because. We are so ingrained into it from the moment we're born in this country. Every bit of media we watch constantly promotes the celebrity lifestyle. And, well, you just need to get at the top of the mountain. And, oh, how great it is to be in this country where you can get to the highest of highs. And it's just – it's something that people who've lived with it their entire life think, well, we probably can't do better, right? And ripping off that Band-Aid isn't going to be easy. And I don't think that there's a, a way that we can – make these changes at an incremental pace that makes it so people are comfortable that makes enough change to, to stop catastrophe happening. So it's got to be one or the other. And I think for a while people have said, I don't want to do this thing that makes me uncomfortable. It's, it's so, you know, what would we do if we didn't have capitalism? Does that mean there's no free market? Does that mean that I have to grow my own food and, and have to farm my own, you know, it, it, there's a lot of misconceptions about it too. But we're reaching a point where more and more people are, are making that calculation in their head. And whereas before they might have brushed it off without a second thought, they're like, well, I mean, this current system isn't working. So maybe it is time to try something new. Yeah. I mean, I think if you just step back and look at kind of just the track record of capitalism, you know, over the last hundred years and last 50 years, uh, you know, it's like privatizing all this stuff. Like if – if giving control of markets to a handful of oligarchs was actually resulting in people being housed and people being fed and everyone having guaranteed health care or at least being able to afford health care, that would be one thing. But what we've seen, especially in the last 50 years, is just a consolidation of wealth and power at the top. You know, we now have three billionaires hoard more wealth than half of our entire nation. Uh, and if you step back globally, it's like 26 billionaires hoard more wealth than half of our entire planet. So this idea that capitalism has resulted in more freedom for the masses and for the public is actually the exact opposite of what's happening. It's resulted in more freedom and power and, and, and opportunity for those at the top and, and for the rich. But it's actually done the exact opposite uh, for the working class and even now the middle class. I mean, you have people in this country who are hanging on for dear life and who are deciding, do I pay my energy bill or do I pay my health care premium this month? And so, again, I just it's so I guess you're right. You know, so much of our media is dominated by uh, giant corporations who have a vested interest in preserving capitalism. Our political system is dominated by two ca capitalist political parties who have a vested interest in maintaining this capitalist system. So you don't hear a lot of 
counter messaging or a lot of opposition to the system or just even some like simple questions like, is capitalism working for the majority of the people in this country? And when you look, I mean, you see how many people are struggling with housing, struggling with health care, struggling with uh, finding a, a job that pays them a living wage. You see very quickly that no, it's not working for the for the majority of the people. It might be working for the upper class, uh, you know, for the upper classes, but but that is not, you know, we all we we all deserve to live a life of dignity and justice. And uh, when you have a system that says no, dignity and justice for all is is, is only it's dignity and justice is only available to those who can afford it. Uh, it, it's it's created the hierarchical society and the class system that we have today, and I just think we're going to reach a breaking point soon. Um, and look, like I said, you know, we've seen this consolidation of of large corporations in the private sector to the point where most industries are now controlled by a handful of monopolies. Now, while the big corporations are merging to expand their power, on the flip side, we're not seeing the people consolidate and come together to fight back against this. Uh, in fact, I'd argue that the people in this country are more divided than ever, which makes it a lot harder to effectively fight back against big business uh, and the two capitalist parties who do their bidding. Rob, how do we effectively fight back against this divide-and-conquer strategy that the, duopoly, that the duopoly has used so effectively against us? Because I think until we can start you know, building mass movements to fight back against this inequality, we're just going to see more of the same, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the million-dollar question is people are very used to being put in one box or another. There's a lot of false dichotomies. There's a lot of, well, you're either this or you're that ingrained into into most people's heads. You know, even just saying like, yeah, I'm not a Democrat, nine out of ten times someone will be like, oh, well, are you a Republican? You know, and it's it's just this this lack of curiosity, a lack of of like questioning um, that, that leads people to believing these things. But I think ultimately it's going to need to be a, a mass movement that comes together. We want to talk about how do we fight back? Well, the way you fight back is with money, right? You don't support the companies to the best of your ability. You, you know, if, if a company has horrible labor practices, you don't support them. If we, if we're talking about a general strike that could grind the economy to a halt, well, now they're going to be listening because they want the gravy train to start flowing. And if they say, well, you know, we can't make money right now because so many people are, are on strike, we'll just, just give them whatever healthcare they want and get them back to work. Um, so the way we get there, that's, that's going to be the hard part. And I think that's the part that people a lot smarter than me have been trying to figure out. I think a good place to start is just having open communication is questioning and challenging a lot of what we're told. You know, I don't know how many of us growing up were told like, don't talk politics at work. Don't talk politics with your family. Like, oh, if you're at the dinner table, don't bring up anything that might ruffle feathers. Well, I, I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's a perfect place. Have conversations with people. Try to, to find common ground. Try to get people to, to see what, what you believe in, that a better world is possible. And, you know, it, it's not it's not always going to work, but I, I think you have to try to lead with, you know, education and, and just arguing in good faith. If you tell someone, hey, I believe that workers deserve to make more money, and it's not just because I want to make more money and not have to work. I genuinely believe we're being exploited. I believe everyone deserves these basic rights. A lot of people, they can't really push back on it. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I just we don't know how to get there. And I've had plenty of conversations at work with people who 
otherwise would consider themselves capitalists and and you know after an hour two hours of talking at uh, talking with them um they at least start to to challenge some of the things that they're told they're like you know we are told this but i haven't really seen it too much and it, it everyone i think ryan you can attest to this it's it's hard to to break out of it, but once you get the blindfold taken off, it doesn't go back on. And when you first start questioning the Democratic Party when you leave, that's a huge step. When you first start questioning power dynamics because, well, capitalism consolidates wealth, just putting that seed of doubt oftentimes will get people to start thinking for themselves. And the goal here isn't to just tell everyone what to think and they have to think exactly like us. The goal is to get people to all be on the same team and, and to be able to, to have a common goal and work towards it. And so, again, I, I think the, the best answer I can give you, the, the shortest answer, is talk to anyone who's willing to listen and, and just try to get people to, to think outside the box a little bit because that's the first step towards them questioning, towards them breaking free of the constraints that their brain has placed, saying, well, we, we're in the system. I guess we're, we're stuck with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing my mom always used to say is she's like, you never bite the hand that feeds you. And, you know, I think that for so many people, you know, it's like their mindset is, well, capitalism is the only system we have. It's the only system I've ever known. Uh, it's what, what I have to participate in to, uh, pay my bills, to buy food, you know, to put a roof over my head. Uh, but I think that now that we're, you're seeing people more and more people struggle, you're going to, you know, the, the, the CEO class and, and the billionaire class, they're really testing the, the limits here because you get to a point where people aren't going to be able to, aren't be able to house and feed and, 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 and just have the basic necessities in life. And so that, that's going to get to, people are getting to a point of desperation that they will have no choice, uh, but to fight back against the, this system. And, you know, I want to get back to the kind of the core of our conversation with the recession. Um, you know, another thing that happens during recessions is when working people lose their homes or any assets that they've gained, the big banks and real estate groups are right there to swoop them up uh, at cheaper prices. And this is just another way that the banks capitalize off the people's misery under this system. Uh, the big banks, the capitalist class, and both parties who do their bidding use recessions as just another opportunity to exploit workers and consolidate their power. Uh, we, we've kind of, you kind of answered this, Rob, but isn't it time for the people to use these moments where capitalism is once again failing the majority of the people to, to start to fight for a better system or at least to start to have some solidarity along class lines or amongst people who actually want a better system or want more than just two parties that, that represent the, the rich and the billionaire class? Yeah, I mean, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And I think, you know, it's, it's awful. I'm not going to pretend like, well, it's actually a good thing. Trying to find a silver, silver lining in all this suffering is this is when people, when people are struggling, when people are suffering, this is when you have the best chance at radicalizing people, getting them to, to question what they've been told. You know, like if they believe capitalism has been working their whole life and all of a sudden now they just got laid off or their, you know, their job got shipped overseas because the company wants to lower their costs and they're making record profits. You don't go and you don't dunk on them and say, well, see, you're an idiot for not believing me. But you try to point out the, the material conditions that you, you try to explain and use this as a, as a time to say, look, I get it. I'm, I'm sorry you're dealing with this. I'm empathetic. Here's why I, in my opinion, this is why this is happening. 
uh, and, and here's what we can do to fix it because people aren't always going to be receptive. You know, if, if someone's got a, a great job and they have a, a big house and, and nice cars and they got all the security in the world, they might not think that the system is failing. Um, you know, they might live in a neighborhood where everyone's doing fine and, and, and they're not aware that like the average person's really struggling to get by. But when you do have things like it's pretty hard to to hear like, yeah, the economy is going great for most people because they just they see their bank accounts don't reflect that. They see the cost of everything going up. They see that their wages haven't gone up in years. And it's it's really hard to point to that and say, well, don't believe what your eyes are showing you. Don't believe what your ears are hearing. Just just keep just keep pretending like everything's okay. And so, you know, it there what's the the Lenin quote? There's like weeks in history that decades happen and decades where weeks happen. Some a lot of change can happen in a very quick amount of time if the conditions are right. Is is what yeah. I've always gotten from that quote. And so, uh Finding that moment every time there are decades another- when nothing happens and then there are yes. weeks when everything happens. Absolutely. Yes. And I think we're at that point. I mean, we haven't had – I think the last time there's been any significant reforms in this country that, again, weren't enough, but they, they kind of uh, – it was like a, renegoci- a renegotiation uh, between capital and labor uh, was after the Great Depression uh, with FDR, and you had a kind of a wave of – of legislation that was more populist, that, that helped the everyday people. It was not perfect. And it did not happen. Uh, I think this is, you know, sometimes I saw that meme again floating this week where the vote blew no matter who liberals who are like, oh, you know, thank a Democrat for Medicare and for, you know, uh, minimum wage and for, you know, and they listed all the reforms that have been passed in the last century. And I, what I find so interesting about this meme is the Democratic Party did not just wake up one day and were like, yes, let's pass a minimum wage. Let's pass uh, Medicare. Let's pass uh, Social Security. Actually, what happened was there was uh, a wave of protest. There was a, a massive – back in the 30s and 40s, we had a booming uh, – yes, booming socialist and communist movement in this country. We had a, a, a booming labor movement, and these forces – were were terrifying the capitalists. They were terrifying uh, both uh, ruling class parties. They were terrifying the CEO class. And so that is how we ended up getting just a little bit of reforms, a little bit of breadcrumbs was from that pressure. The Democrats never willingly did anything. Uh, even in the civil rights movement, it took protest. That is how. And so this new wave of, of liberals who think that the path to change is to worship uh, a corrupt corporate party like the Democrats and to worship politicians like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Pete Buttigieg and Hillary Clinton and who have no interest in, in representing the people at all and whose only, uh, whose only purpose is to deceive the people into thinking we live in a democracy into thinking we actually have a, have a real choice on election day when the truth is that we live in an oligarchy and we live under this decrepit capitalist system which which exists to funnel more and more wealth uh, up to the top by exploiting everyone at the bottom. Uh, so, you know, I think that that first and foremost is like this idea that we should be worshiping politicians, worshiping political parties or the billionaire class. Like, no, we need to be demanding justice. We need to be holding them accountable. We need to be calling them out. We need to be in the streets telling them that like, if you don't, if, if there's no change, then like that, that, 
that you're out of here. You know what I mean? Like that's the level of, of, of protest that's required uh, to beat this kind of corruption. And I just don't see it. I think that what I see is these kind of comfortable liberals being the gatekeepers of, of, of the status quo right now. And they, they're more, their concern more is with saving their, their favorite political team uh, than to actually uh, fight for real change for everyday people. And I think that that is just a detriment uh, to the kind of change we need. And well, it's got it us in this stalemate. And and it doesn't really take too much looking to see just how destructive, like, the Democratic Party can be and is. Like, we look right now, Starbucks unionizing over 200 stores, right? But I think Howard Schultz is the CEO's name. Big union buster. That was going to be Hillary Clinton's pick for Secretary of Labor, a union buster for Secretary of Labor, right? You look throughout Biden his cabinet, you look at Obama's cabinet that's just filled with lobbyists, filled with ex-banking executives. And it's just these are not people who are, are and same with Biden's about cabinet. The class. Biden's yeah. cabinet is full of Wall Street puppets. And then you hear, oh yeah, Larry Summers going on saying, Well, we actually just need to get unemployment to a certain point, and then that'll help, you know, with, with so many unemployed people, people are more willing to to take less for their jobs, and that'll decrease the costs, and then that way uh that'll lead to cheaper goods and services. Like as if there we're we're not seeing record profits for companies left and right. That's just greed. And it's just it's so frustrating that the the people tend to take certain entities very seriously, right? Like they'll say the New York Times is the pinnacle of journalism, even though the New York Times was <laughs> wrong about weapons of mass destruction. They've never seen a war they didn't like. They put out puff pieces about the police that completely ignore the actual data. They're now, you know, framing the the trans conversations to just punch down and, and like completely sacrifice uh, one of the most marginalized communities in, in the world. And th- these are, you know, everyday people be like, well, but, you know, the New York Times said it. Well, that that person is a Democrat and they've been in Congress for 20 years, so they probably know more than me. They probably know what they're talking about. And it's like some of these people are just fucking evil ghouls and they don't really care what's best. They just do what's best for who's paying them. They're corporate donors, uh, you know, the, the, the CEOs that lobby them. It's just – it's so frustrating that we've allowed ourselves to – you know, growing up, I was told, well, the police, you know, you can always count on the police. And, well, you know, if it's a police words against a person's word, you got to take the police officer because there's the more credible person. And now it's like, man, the police lie so regularly. A random person with zero credibility has more credibility than the police. They have negative credibility, in my opinion, because we've seen time and time again, they lie, lie, lie to make them look as good as possible. They lie when they shoot innocent people. They lie when they don't run into a school to save their children that are being shot. So I think we need a reevaluation um, from where we're sourcing our information, what we're seeing as like the uh, – reputable sources. And I think for too long, we've allowed people who have a lot of money and fancy suits who go on MSNBC or Fox News or CNN, and they're getting paid to be a panelist. We take them seriously. And and we don't really realize that, oh, what are their credentials? Well, they were uh, in the State Department for 10 years. So maybe don't trust what they have to say about foreign policy, you know? Yeah. And what happened to common sense? Like, how can how can you literally believe that we're the land of the free when 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 you look at something like healthcare right now? When, uh, like I said earlier, the the cost of healthcare in this country has increased by six hundred percent 
over the last half century. Like, how can you believe that, that we live, that we're the land of the free when uh, housing costs have skyrocketed 600% over the last half century? Like, and, and meanwhile, wages remain, remain flat, but CEO pay is going up a thousand percent. Like, we are all being fleeced. We are all, like, the, the reason corporations are making record profits, it's because they, they, they're, they're overcharging on everything. They dump, they, again, a handful of corporations have monopolies over the major industries. They are fleecing us when it comes to how much we pay for healthcare, when it comes to our, how, how much we pay for housing, when it comes to how much we pay for food, for energy. You can go industry by industry. The American people are getting screwed. And if you just look at like every family's income statement, like again, the reason most Americans are in debt is because when your costs exceed your the revenue you're bringing in, when your costs exceed your income, you you have to take on debt just to survive. So I just I don't the system as is is not sustainable. You know, this idea that we're the land of the free is just another capitalist lie. We're not free in this oligarchy. We've become a people who are under complete and total control of giant corporations and sociopathic billionaires who exploit our labor, plunder our wealth, bribe our politicians, and destroy our planet all under the guise of freedom. And this is, this is literally the result of capitalism. This is the result of the system we have. And so the last thing that we need in this country is another capitalist political party which leads me to uh, another story this week that happened this week, which is that Andrew Yang uh, has joined forces with former Republicans and Democrats to kind of relaunch his the forward party. Uh, and now, look, I can add a little bit of nuance to this, and then I want to get your take, Rob. I agree with Andrew Yang on some things uh, like electoral reforms, like ranked choice voting uh, and proportional representation and having open elections and open de- political debates. But – He's pitching this party as a capitalist centrist party, and I just don't think more capitalism is the solution to the rampant inequality and injustice that our current capitalist system has produced. You know, I would like to see, like, would like to see and get to a point where we have eight to 10 parties on the ballot and, and a real multi-party democracy in this country. But at the end of the day, we would, what we'd still be left with is our decrepit capitalist and imperialist system that exploits the masses to enrich the ruling class. Rob, what are your thoughts on the Ford Party, and do you think our current capitalist system is the way forward, or do we need a new system? And I guess the last thing I would say is why are people still so afraid to fight for a new system or even identify that, that, that our system is what's the problem? Yeah, I think Andrew Yang is a clown, and I know people probably don't don't want to hear me say that. I I appreciate someone saying like, "Hey, let's look outside of the two parties," but he's saying it for all the wrong reasons. Andrew Yang is the kind of guy that looks at Congress and he's like, "Hmm, you know, the problem is that the the Democrats are too far left and the Republicans are too far right." Yep. When in actuality, like any other country in the fucking world would look at the Democratic Party and be like, "Yeah, they're a conservative party. They're an openly." pro-business, pro-police, pro-capitalist party that doesn't want to give you health care, that doesn't want to like actually fight to give you any economic rights. So yeah, not necessarily uh, a left-wing, you know, what you often get hear these jackasses say as well, you know, the problem is there's, there's just, it's the extremes. Most Americans are in the middle and that's horseshit because most Americans support policies that are to the left of what the democratic party is supporting. Most Americans want 
guaranteed health care. Most Americans want increased taxes on the rich. Most Americans want to get money out of politics. These are things that the Democrats and Republicans alike both do not want to happen. So don't tell me that, well, between far right and right, we just, the center is where we need to go. That's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, the, the system is corrupt. It's rigged to help rich people. When people kind of wake up to it, it you know, there's a lot of people that see that and they're like, well, what's the point of any of this? Um, but with Yang, it's just like the dude also had horrid, horrible forum policy when he was running for president and mayor. Yeah. Uh, he he just, was against uh, – he, he, one thing that really bothered me is that he was uh, against freeing Julian Assange. Oh, yeah. One of the greatest truth tellers of the 21st century. Like how could you be against freeing someone who exposed U.S. war Well, I'll crimes. tell you exactly why. Because he's pro-U.S. empire. And at the end of the day, that's the thing that's so frustrating. There's not a single member of Congress that wants the U.S. empire to fall. And that's that's all there is to it. Every single person, even the Bernie Sanders, the AOCs, the people on the so-called left in Congress, they don't want the United States to just be an equal member of the globe. They still want America to sit at the top. They just want to make sure its citizens maybe have a little more health care uh, or a little less. The peasants are revolting a little less because their their conditions are a little less bleak. But at the end of the day, I remember uh, Andrew Yang was like pandering super pro-Israel and was dodging questions about Palestine. It's like the dude's a, a, he's a joke. And unfortunately, I think a hundred percent of people in Congress are jokes. Ninety-nine point nine percent of people that run for president have been jokes, and no one wants to actually take a serious look. And you know, it'd be one thing if this was the only system in the world that people have, but there are other systems that work in other places. And so, it's to me, it's indefensible to say, well, you know. Like Rokana, the, the, which I remember there were some rumblings that he was going to be like the, the successor to Bernie Sanders and lead the left. The dude is an imperialist clown. I remember he was being questioned about sanctions because he said, yeah, most sanctions don't actually hurt the government. They mostly just hurt the people. OK, so then why are you voting to increase sanctions on Nicaragua? Well, this time it'll be different. Like absolute clown shit to me. Imperialists saying that we need to make sure that America is the most competitive is the number one. I just I don't like I don't waste my time thinking that there these people are going to all of a sudden wake up and say, oh, you know what? The system that's helped enrich me, I'm going to completely turn my back on it and move towards something equitable. I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think the politicians that are going to save the day, if there are politicians that are saving the day, they're not going to come from well-established areas. They're going to just be regular grassroots people that have had enough. And, you know, this was mostly me just ranting about how much Andrew Yang pisses me off. But he just gets – there's this, like, veneer of, oh, well, he's just a really smart guy. The dude talked about universal basic income, an objectively good thing. And how did he want to pay for it? Oh, well, we would we would gut the welfare state. We'd get rid of all these other programs, and instead of giving people benefits, we would just give them money. Oh, so they would be getting less benefits. They would just get it in the form of cash. Yeah, real big brains over here on Andrew Yang. That's not going to help the people. So I, I think his party is broken. I, unless there is a party that is willing to completely come out and say, as a party, it is our platform that we need to demolish capitalism, a system based on exploitation, a system that is inherently violent, a system that is keeping the working class down. Unless that is the platform of the party – 
it, what's the point of making more capitalist parties? It's just it's a different flavor of of oppression, but it's still going to oppress you at the end. And it, it, I don't even look at it like it's a step to the left or right, and not quite a step in the right direction. It's just it's wasted energy and it's wasted money for ideology that we know won't fucking help the regular working class people. But at the end of the day, all, what everything you're explaining is all of all of these different people from Andrew Yang to people the Democrats throw at us. Um, it's just a new face on the same old system. You know, it's like it. And that's why, like, it doesn't matter in, in our duopoly who wins when it's when the contest is to is between two corporate parties. The, You're the telling me Pete Buttigieg isn't going to save the day, Ryan? He, but he's Pete not. Buttigieg is young. But Pete no. Buttigieg, is, he's, he's a neoliberal fucking shill. I don't yeah. – I just it – It's drives, so funny. You're like a step uh, ahead of me. He's the last uh, one because uh, on our agenda tonight because he's actually beating Biden uh, in, a, in, in a recent poll – uh, that they just put out for the 2024 primary. But before I get there, you know, that is unfortunately because we are indoctrinated into this system and, and, uh, from a very young age and you're either a member of the blue, the blue capitalist party or the red capitalist party. Uh, so many people like th their political, uh, their, their political ideology ends there. Like, it's like, no, I got to either vote for Democrats or Republicans. But when that is your choice, if the people's only choices are two parties who want to expand the police state, expand uh, uh, the military budget, um, do nothing for climate, do nothing for living wages, do nothing for health care, um, you know, we are li literally just on a path to uh, oblivion. And at some point, the system will give out. I mean, the system throughout, you know, human history, you could, you could say is is when you just look at it, it has been a, a history of uh, of empires collapsing and of and every time they collapse, it is always greed that brings them down. It happened to the Roman Empire. It happened uh, in Egypt. And now America thinks it's going to be different. The United States thinks that, you know, it's going to be it's going to be able to exploit, uh, you know, the, the poor and working class in other countries abroad through endless wars. Uh, and it's going to be able to exploit uh, our working class here uh, to enrich uh, the oligarchs who rule this country, and it's just not a reality. Like at some point, the system will get will, will give out. You know these these people who stand on stages and, and argue, uh, you know, about decorum and and clutch their pearls. Uh, you know that it's not going to matter, and that's for me like the Democrats are talking about January sixth every day. It's January sixth. It's January sixth. We are in the middle of a fucking recession. Every indicator says that we're in a recession. People can't afford health care. They can't afford to pay their bills. And all Democrats still want to talk about is Donald Trump. Like, it's going to be the year 2054. Donald Trump is going to be long dead. And the Democrats are going to be running another committee to impeach him for the hundredth time. Like, that is what the Democrats have become. They stand for nothing except Republicans are bad. And, and the truth is because they have nothing to stand for because what they stand for is funneling more money to their corporate donors and doing everything possible to preserve this decrepit capitalist and imperialist system. They are the gatekeepers of the status quo. Their job is literally to stop any real grassroots movement. And uh, let's talk about Pete Buttigieg because, like I said, there's a poll out and it's so depressing uh, because uh, New Hampshire, which is one of the first primary states – uh, is has is favoring Pete Buttigieg over Joe Biden, and I saw all these liberals sharing it. Like, look, like things are changing, and I mean, like this is ridiculous, right? I mean, uh, you know, putting a new face on a corrupt institution whose 
sole purpose is to co-opt and destroy any movement that challenges the capitalist oligarchy isn't going to change a damn thing. Uh, so the Democrats anointing Wall Street Pete to lead their corrupt party only reinforces the fact uh, that there is no viable path forward inside the Democratic Party, which is what you and I and, and many other people have been arguing for the last two years now. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts or, or any of our listeners? What are your thoughts on the Democrats now making Pete Buttigieg the, their new uh, standard bearer for, for 2024 and 2028? I think a, a lot of us on the left knew that he was going to be the, the candidate that was going to be forced down our throat uh, in, the, in the next decade. He was going to run multiple times. But again, he's just – he's an empty fucking suit. He's going to say whatever the system wants him to say, whatever the Democrats tell him, whatever polls well, he's going to say and act in a way that doesn't actually help people. It's like – it's just – it's so frustrating to see people – like fall for it. Like the, the weaponization of identity mm. politics is really disgusting because it's like, you're, you're trying to Rob, you're, you're homophobic. If you, if you criticize P- P- Pete Buttigieg on policies. Oh yeah. Well, I'm also <laughs> apparently racist and sexist. Cause I think Kamala Harris is an idiot who can't answer. Like I, I, I know we're talking about. No, it's what Democrats do. They weaponize identity bar. politics to protect their corporate politics. Like, quick they've mastered bar, it. Ryan. How have you ever seen a public figure, let alone the vice president of a fucking country, looks so underprepared for even the most basic questions. Every time I see a very reasonable question get asked, it's like, well, you know, we have to fight and we have to stand up for what we believe in and believe in the things that we fight for. And when we fight, we can achieve. And so to achieve, we need to fight. It's like, but what the fuck does that have to do with what do Americans do if they can't afford to put like gas in their car? You know, like I just it's it's mind boggling that they're trotting out these people. They think, well, maybe if we make them black this time, OK, we'll we'll make them gay next time. Will you vote for us now? No. OK, what about Latino? OK, well, what other thing can we try to like cynically exploit and be like, well, if you don't like it, you're a bad person. It's just it's it's horrible. It's it's yeah. absolutely. But see, this is Kamala Harris shit. doesn't surprise me because she is the culmination of the Democratic Party's march over the last half century, which has been to weaponize identity politics and pretend to care about marginalized people in order to deflect from the fact that the party literally exists to serve Wall Street and to serve the military industrial complex. Uh, and to, and to serve uh, the billionaire class. So, and to stop any real movement to the left. So Kamala Harris, you know, she's just, she's what the Democratic Party is. Barack Obama, you know, but Barack Obama was, again, he was, he was a little craftier. Like he didn't, Kamala gets caught in what I call platitude soup, where she takes the same three platitudes and repeats them over and over and over again. And after you, I mean, that's why like, there was a speech she gave recently where like over five minutes, she says the same word like 35 times. And she, she like talks in a circle. It goes nowhere. But like that, again, like we have to be clear about this. That's the Democratic Party. Supporting the Democratic Party, you're going in a circle. You're not going anywhere because they literally just exist to stop any real movement for the working class and for the people. They exist to protect our system and, and, to, and to stop the people from revolting and, and to get the people to obey the, the very system that exploits us. So, you know, while Kamala's talking in circles, that's the whole goal of the Democrats, to keep people on the hamster wheel, to keep people from rebelling against the system, to keep people from fighting for something better and fighting for, for, for what we all deserve. That is the whole purpose. And look, I fell for the Democrats for 17 years. I talk very openly about it. I was a longtime Democrat. I voted for Barack Obama. 
Um, you know, and I, I didn't, I left the party, uh, right after the 2020 primary and I don't see myself ever voting for another Democrat again. I mean, I just, the party, like, what's the point? Like, we don't, like, we already have the Republican party. We don't need another party that just exists to serve the rich and exists to serve capitalism. Like we need a party and a movement that actually wants to help people that actually wants to put power in the hands of working people that actually like doesn't want to pass laws that are rigged for the corporations and for the rich. Like that's what we need. And so we're like, it drives me nuts to see people falling for, for, for Pete Buttigieg. But at the same time, it makes, it reaffirms the reason I left the democratic party. Like, this idea that, that the AOC, that the Democrats would ever let her win a DNC primary, like they, it's going to be 2028. She's going to be running against Pete Buttigieg, and the DNC is going to do everything in their power to make sure that, that their anointed candidate wins, uh, you know, just like they did with, with Obama, just like they did with Hillary, just like they did with, with Biden. They'll do that for Pete. And if, if it got to a point where someone like AOC ever won the DNC primary, it would just be to such a degree, it'd be, It'd be that they know that AOC is now on their side, and she's actually not going to fight for working. Well, she already people. is on their she's side, gonna, Ryan. You know, she's just going to spout the platitudes and use the empty rhetoric and weaponize her identity to just hurt the very marginalized people she says she cares about. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen a, a shift from AOC. I mean, I remember in 2018, she's like, "I don't care if I'm a one-term congressperson. I could accomplish more in one term by fighting back against the establishment." To then now becoming an apologist for Joe Biden, and I'll never forget last year. I think, yeah, it was 2021 when she, she, she called socialists bad faith actors because we were criticizing Joe Biden for his bloated military budget and for uh, in, in, uh, giving more money to the police than even Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden we're the bad faith actors because we want to hold the Democrats accountable. And it was just so weird to see her become well, Ryan, an apologist and then to watch all her fan, the fandom around AOC. Like it's so unhealthy. It, like I can't even – I don't really tweet about AOC anymore because I just – I can't handle – I don't know if, if these are – I think some people are, are, are still buying her stuff. I think there's some DNC bots now. I noticed some of the – some of the DNC troll farms now are are tweeting out uh, favorable things about AOC, which leads me to believe even more that she's been co-opted. So it's disgusting. I mean, it, it's just it's just taking our energy away from from areas that could actually improve and and, and promote real change. And that's why I've do dominated all of my platform to helping the Green Party, Socialist Alternative, um, Mutual Aid, uh, the Labor Movement. Mm. I mean, any that's. Supporting uh, real socialist parties, supporting real labor movements, actually giving money to a poor working class person it goes much further than supporting either of these parties that, that are ruling over us. Well, it's so sad to the state of the left in this country because AOC is what I think most people would say is about as far left as there is a person in Congress. And she believes in NATO expansion. She does. She believes that like Juan Guaido is the rightful president of Venezuela. She believes in all this awful shit. She believes in more sanctions. Like it's just there's even when when like the domestic policies seem to like oh that's a little bit populist. That's the thing that's so sad to me is I, I I'm trying to think of a single politician that that in my lifetime that had good foreign policy that would be like. This war in Ukraine, it is a proxy war. The United States needs to stop trying to fucking prod China and start World War III over Taiwan, which, you know, Richard Nixon 
50 years ago, 50 plus years ago said, oh, yeah, we recognize this is a part of China. Like there's just so many things that, that like the foreign policy is always awful. The foreign policy of every single person in the United States Congress, of every president in, in U.S. history has been put America first, exploit the global south and what are they going to fucking do about it? So, and, and, my, and they're not even putting Americans first. Like they're putting the American oligarchs first. They're putting yes. the weapons manufacturers first. I mean, the reason both parties support every war and, and support these bloated military budgets, Rob, is because they're, def- they're funded by, uh, the weapons manufacturers. And, you know, these, these javelin companies have, have javelins and missiles to produce. You know, who cares about world peace when you can make billions of dollars off selling arms to, you know, all these, these, these corrupt, uh, governments throughout the world and, and our corrupt government, uh, you know, the most corrupt government. So, you know, it just, you're right. The foreign policy of, of you know, AOC's foreign policy is crap. Even Bernie, someone who uh, oh, I credit terrible. to my political awakening, his foreign policy is, is not great either. I mean, he's, you know, they always come out after the fact and say that they were against the war, but, you know, they, they, they agreed with funding this proxy war in Ukraine, which is the reason we're in a recession. You know, the, the getting into another one of these, these, you know, quagmires and another, and funding another proxy war, which is not going to bring peace to the Ukrainian people. I mean, I don't know how many times people have to understand that you do not bring peace to a place by funneling weapons into that place. You don't. Weapons you do it by create doing more war. They shoots. create more conflict. <laughs> like, I just don't understand, like, when people are going to wake up to understand, like, no, fun, pummel, you know, pumping billions of dollars of weapons into Ukraine is only going to make Russia more pissed off, and it's not going to bring peace any closer. Like, I just it's, – it's ridiculous to me, and how quickly liberals – I mean – I, I don't think the CIA could have done a better job of getting people to support something that was so bad for our country so quickly. I mean, within a week, every liberal in America had the Ukrainian flag on their on their Facebook, and they literally thought they were standing for democracy. They think that we're bringing democracy to another country when we haven't even brought democracy to our own fucking country. How could we bring something? Some how could we bring something to another country when we don't even know have it here? Like the American government knows nothing about democracy. It knows only about oligarchy. It knows only about endless wars. It knows only about exploitation. That is what, that is what it specializes in. So I just, I, but again, it's got two propaganda networks to pump them up from MSNBC to Fox News. And it's got, you know, they've got all the money. Uh, you know, they've got endless amounts of corporate money. They've got, you know, a, a, an upper class that is just, uh, determined to, to keep every little bit uh, of the wealth that they've stolen from the workers to themselves. And they don't want to give up anything. And so we see this tug of war right now. And I just think it's going to get to a space where enough people in this country are going to rise up and fight for the dignity and justice we all deserve. And, and, and I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, right now living in this country, it's, it's, I don't, I mean, like people are at, they're below the margins now. They're literally taking out debt to just sustain themselves. We are seeing uh, every major city where, especially areas like San Francisco, New York, Seattle, Los Angeles, areas where you have the highest concentration of capital, where you have the most wealth concentrated, you're seeing the highest pockets of homelessness. And, and you literally look at some of these pictures that are coming out of Seattle and Los Angeles, and it literally it looks worse than a third world country. 
And these are what, what are what people are considered liberal cities and, and like and, and really what they are is capitalist cities and they, they are full of corrupt politicians who want to just keep giving more money and more subsidies to corporations, more kickbacks to the to the big real estate firms, and do nothing for the people at the margins. And it's disgusting to me. Uh, I, I don't know how anyone can call themselves a proud Democrat or a proud Republican. Both parties are a disgrace and, and need to be abolished so we can start all over. I mean, we would be in a I, – I thought about this the other day. The world – the world and the, and the people in this country would be better off without the United States government. Like I thought about that. Like it, you know, that the United States government is such a corrupt force, both abroad and at home, and it, and it's such an it, it's literally just exists to oppress people. That we would be better off without our the United States government, much better off. Uh, and and I think more people have to start having these difficult conversations and start understanding just how corrupt it truly is and how it's literally standing in the way of, of the dignity and justice we all deserve. I mean, it, the, our government literally just operates as a subsidiary of all these massive corporations. Uh, it, it has no business continuing to exist in its current form. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of end with this. I don't know if you can tell, Ryan, I've been very angry today. I'm really angry seeing bad story after bad story, spending time on Twitter and looking at, oh, well, here's a different entity that's outwardly coming out and saying, fuck working class people, fuck poor people. I'm tired of the same mistakes being made. I'm tired of the suffering. I'm tired of people not learning their lessons. And I think the the one, like, again, the the silver lining is I think more and more people are getting angry. We just need to like anger isn't always a bad thing. Anger can be a great catalyst for change. We just need to find the correct vehicle to channel our anger into in a way that's going to give us some actual victories instead of just feeling angry and feeling hopeless and helpless. Because that I think is, is the core of, of what the, the main issue in this country is right now. While we don't have better, the majority of people want healthcare. It's not like, a, well, we just need to do a better job teaching people about the benefits of single payer. It's very much the systems that are in place don't let the people have what the will of the people says. And yep. so the, the sooner we can find a good vehicle that'll take all this righteous anger and energy and not just put it in these social movements that fizz out and, and dissipate and lead to nothing, but more, you know, George Floyd, I think was, is, is one of those things. The protests that we saw were so powerful in some ways. And then to look back, you know, a year, two years later and see what did we tangibly get from it? We got nothing. And instead we got of nothing, nothing, because it was another social movement. Now they want a hundred thousand more cops. Yeah, but it was co-opted by the Democratic Party. And we had the Democrats today try to push through in the Congress. They tried to push through and ram through legislation that, it, that, that is going to fund the police by billions of dollars and put 100,000 more cops on the street uh, and also increase mass surveillance. So like this idea that the Democrats actually care about you know, uh, the constituents that they say they care about, it's, it's all they, – they use marginalized people for power – they exist to co-opt uh, social movements. And so you're right. Righteous anger is a good thing. But what we need is to direct it 
into a vehicle and into movements that will actually hold both of these corrupt parties accountable and will actually fight for the changes that we need. Because we know that the Republicans won't fight for the changes we need, and we definitely know the Democrats won't fight for the changes we need. And I think we are at a point in history now where platitudes and speeches by you know politicians like the Buttigiegs of the world – like platitudes aren't going to solve the climate crisis. Platitudes aren't going to solve the economic inequality crisis. Platitudes aren't going to solve the the homelessness crisis and and the lack of healthcare crisis and the racial injustice crisis. You know, we need actual policies that are going to put uh, power into the people's hands. And we, you're right, we need new vehicles uh, to fight for it. We need movements that are accountable to the people and that will hold both of these corrupt parties accountable. And, and we'll try to remove all of them from office. Like this idea that you're voting blue to save, uh, a democracy that doesn't exist is, is, is absolutely insanity. It's stupidity. And I think that what we're going to see is more people standing up to the democratic party, uh, and understanding that like, we're not going to vote for you anymore. Uh, I think that if that institution was destroyed, we would actually be able to build uh, a vehicle for uh, that was that was socialist, that was leftist, that was pro working class, that actually wanted to see these changes that the majority of Americans support enacted into law. But I think as long as the Democrats are standing in our way, I think that they will be able to to get enough comfortable liberals who you know aren't living at the margins and don't know what it's like to not have health care and to not, and to make. Uh, and, and to not be paid a living wage, uh, I think they'll always be standing in our way. So I think that's you know a good thing to keep calling out their corruption and to keep uh, aligning ourselves with people like how we, who we had on the show last week, Matthew Ho, who's who's uh, a third party uh, uh, green socialist uh, running for for office. Uh, I, I love Shama Savant and what she's doing in Seattle, holding Amazon accountable. Uh, I think it comes down to accountability, and it comes down to. Uh, being able to hold these corrupt institutions accountable and, and, and stop playing patty cakes with people like uh, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and, 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 and these corrupt Democrats and Republicans. So this was great. Um, Rob, uh, I know you uh, wanted to keep it short tonight because you have to be somewhere. I respect that. Uh, I also respect everyone for listening in. Thank you, guys. Uh, and uh, uh, we will catch you next week with an all-new episode of Unruly. Have a safe weekend out there.